Welcome everyone to the EK BJJ podcast. My name is Eddie Cohn and I am the host and founder of this show. I hope everyone is doing well. This podcast is a movement and is designed to give you the tools and strategies to grow through your jiu-jitsu journey and I'm here to share and serve you the listener. If you're new here, welcome and if you've been following us already, a big big thank you from me. Today I have one thing to ask of you. If you enjoy this podcast, please subscribe to it and share it, especially if you find value in it. Today, I'll be talking about why I use a curriculum when it comes to teaching jiu-jitsu. I'll be sharing my own thoughts that will hopefully give you some tools, concepts and ideas that will serve you well on your journey. Before we get into that, I just want to take a moment to shout out our amazing collaboration family, Atama Kimonos Europe. Pedro and the team make all of our academy kimonos and I believe they are some of the finest kimonos for training in. Atama Europe can be found at atamaeurope.com. For those wanting information on my association or myself, you can find me at ekbjj.com. I would also like to take this opportunity to invite you to join our student development program, which can be found at ekbjjonline.com. Now the weather here in the UK is getting a little colder, which is to be expected obviously at this time of year. We also have the threat of a renewed lockdown looming above us, but let's see what will happen with that. I hope we can keep training at the academy. I hope I can keep serving my community and teaching you the students um, and also keep recording these podcasts. So let's get into today's episode, which is number 11 why I use a curriculum when it comes to teaching jiu-jitsu. So I started teaching jiu-jitsu way back in 2002 with what little knowledge I had. And back then, where I was training, if you like, was at a friend's school. Uh, It literally consisted of myself and two other friends. One of them was a Taekwondo instructor and he had a very small school which was situated Um, in the east of London in a place called Poplar. At that time, I worked with one of the students that that I was training with in a manufacturing company. And although I had been training jiu-jitsu since 1996, I also had converted a small garage um, which could hold around six people, I guess, inside of it. At that time, I think I'd, I'd just received my blue belt and I'd been promoted by Hoist Gracie. Some of you may have heard of him. He is probably the most well-known of Grandmaster Elio Gracie's sons, a UFC Hall of Famer, and of course, the guy who single-handedly changed the way we look at real fights when it comes to um, the UFC. Because back then, as we know, there were no rounds, no rules, no time limits, no gloves. The ref wasn't allowed to stop the fight. And the fight could only be won by knockout or submission. So Hoy single-handedly changed the whole course of martial arts and how it was depicted. So fast forward a few years and I'm sharing, exploring and getting more and more familiar with jiu-jitsu. I'm also understanding that there are many schools and those schools have many different ways they promote each of their students. So I began to look at an effective way to do so, that would also allow students of all ages 
and of varying physical conditions to be on a level playing field when they were training. Because one of the things I realized with training was different people are good at different things. People learn very differently. People adapt to jujitsu very differently. Some people are older, less flexible. Some people are younger, physically more athletic. So I began to explore what I could do to make sure that everyone was on a level playing field. I'll give you an example. If you take a young 21-year-old athlete who's been training for two years and put him to train with, say, a 55 or 60-year-old guy who is a social trainer, how am I, as an instructor, able to compare and promote them individually? Do I only promote the athlete, the young guy, because he smashes everyone who he trains with? Or do I not promote the 55-year-old because he cannot hang with the 21-year-old? That was the dilemma that I saw early on and I recognized very, very early on. That's just a small way of me understanding or putting this into a podcast so you guys can understand. Now, each of them have their own strengths and abilities, but you cannot place them on a level playing field in that setting, in that setting of sparring. I also have a vast amount of students currently. Each of them train different amounts due to work life, family commitments, affordability, etc., etc. And each student is very, very different. Some of my students work, some are shift workers. So they can only attend one or two classes per week. Now I have other students who attend three to five times per week. Now those students who train two times a week they're missing out on a huge part of their jujitsu in comparison to those who spend more time at my academy. So that question popped up again. How do I, as an instructor, provide a complete or full understanding of jujitsu to a student that attends on a limited amount of classes per month? Due to whatever that reason may be, the reasons I've just given. The answer to me was very, very simple and ticked all of the boxes, and that was the creation of a curriculum. So with the above taken into consideration and naturally as the instructor or an instructor that holds himself to account, when a student isn't doing so good in some areas due to missing classes, I had to figure out a way that if a class was missed by that student, how could I and my team somehow fill that void with the lesson that they missed And that's, you know, ultimately what I wanted to do, and I did. So I introduced a very, very simple card system for each course and belt. And from that card, I am able to find out not only how many lessons the student has attended or missed, but what lessons have been missed when it comes up to promoting him or her. It also, that that style or that, that way of that card system Um, also shows me that the student has a whole understanding of jiu-jitsu and has reached every lesson on his or her journey to the next belt. Meaning, I can go back, take a look at the card and say, Johnny, you missed out lesson 19. And if we say that lesson 19 was uh, recovering the guard from crossbody, I would say to him, 
either take a private lesson with one of the black belts and learn that lesson, they will tick you off on that box, or that lesson is coming up again in two or three weeks time, make sure you attend that lesson and jump in. And usually when he jumps in, he ticks that lesson off, we as the instructors go back, look over it, and we can categorically say that he has or she has completed the white belt curriculum and are eligible, not definitively, but are eligible to be promoted at the next annual promotion. The other thing about a curriculum is that it holds true to the culture of jujitsu as I know it. The culture of learning, sharing, discipline, compassion, peace, and of course, when we have to, war. Those who have traveled this journey at my academy for a while will tell you that I consider myself and my academy as a traditional Gracie Jiu-Jitsu Academy. What do I mean by traditional Gracie Jiu-Jitsu Academy? By that, I place a lot of emphasis not only on stand-up self-defense, but striking, takedowns, throwing, and of course, ground grappling. Now, a lot of scores in this modern era of Jiu-Jitsu has changed the culture a little bit of what I understand Jiu-Jitsu to be. For me, Jiu-Jitsu has always been and will always be a self-defense art. It was nothing more and nothing less. And during that self-defense learning process, all fights start standing. They don't start on the ground and roll and wrestle. But I do understand that the modern style of Jiu-Jitsu has changed that culture and it's now become more of a ground grappling system. If you speak to anyone about jujitsu, if you say to them, hey, I train jujitsu, they say, oh, that's that stuff that you lay down on the ground and you, you fight on the ground with. Unbeknownst to them, it isn't. There are actually more components to that, which is why we consider ourselves um, traditional Gracie jujitsu. So with that said, I am also in no rush to promote my student or our students at the academy, or in any sort of shortcuts, or give them a shortcut to change belts. I like to make sure the student wholly understands the positions, the techniques, and of course the mindset when it comes not only to jujitsu, but to defending themselves should a real life situation arise. I also believe in testing our students' knowledge, using a formalized testing procedure to make sure that they understand the positions. You know, when they're doing these positions, I watch them use these techniques in resisted sparring. After all, I am creating teachers to go forward and spread the amazing jujitsu we have learned directly from the Gracie family. So that's another reason why I consider it to be traditional Gracie jujitsu. Now, when the students are testing for his or her belt, they're observed by the academy senior belts, mostly the black belts. And at the end of the testing process, all of the senior belts discuss and vote if that individual has displayed and achieved the required knowledge to wear the next belt, then they'll be promoted. These are our minimum standards or what's known as a standardized belt testing that we use. And like I said, that goes back to making sure that our students are on a level playing field because, you know, there are, there are things that can happen when you just promote people randomly. Uh, a fine example of this is many people say 
that Hoist will Hoist Gracie will attend a seminar, see a student for the first time, and promote him to blue belt. Now, I'm not saying that's right or wrong, because Hoist has a far better knowledge and understanding of jiu-jitsu than I do. But I will say this. If I see a student on one occasion and watch him roll for five minutes and I promote using solely that as the promotion of the belt, then I'm doing not only a disservice to jiu-jitsu, but I'm also doing a disservice to that student. What if that student has only been training three months and he's training with someone who is much lesser than him, as in physically wise, he's, he's, his natural attributes have diminished, he's physically older, maybe had a bad night, worked a night shift, came off a, you know, a bad week at work. Whatever the scenario is, how can I promote someone based on that merit? That doesn't make sense. In turn, what that does is that student who's been training a year who had the bad week and was rolling with a guy who got promoted, promoted then feels jiu-jitsu isn't for him or her, feels let down, feels all kinds of things and potentially leaves not only the school, but jiu-jitsu. So I don't like to see promotions like this personally. You know, I honestly believe that promotions need to be a, a build-up with the student and instructor and ultimately when you promote someone, you're putting your name to that belt and you're also saying that you're entrusting them to carry your training methods, your teaching methods um, and the jiu-jitsu that you've taught them to wherever they go. So the belt to me really is a connection between you and that student. Now, as we know, all educational environments use curriculums in almost that exact way that I just spoke about. Nearly all jobs have some form of curriculum that ultimately has a test attached to them or an exam paper. And that exam has minimum standards, which has been deemed passable by a governing body, which is a level playing field for everyone. As long as you study and put the time and effort in, you can achieve the desired pass mark and receive the reward. By that, I mean, when it comes to jujitsu, our curriculum is open to everyone from white belt all the way through to black belt. I test my black belts with a curriculum. I am tested with a curriculum. Each of my students are tested to a set standard of that curriculum. Now, when we test our students, we're not doing the test in a kata format where they practice them a lot like synchronized dancing. No, we pressure test them. There are sparring involved, live resisted sparring. There are demonstrations of the technique. There is stand-up self-defense from surprise attacks and many, many other things that go into our student students' development in order to qualify them for their next rank. Now, what that does is it breeds a certain kind of person within the academy. It teaches them to be dedicated to their art, to be committed to their training, it teaches them, you know, to learn good camaraderie. Now, I'm not saying other schools don't have that, but from my working knowledge and, and using this kind of curriculum and belt testing for many years, it works extremely well for us. And for the students, they too 
um, benefit from it, they achieve something, and it's a group achievement. The whole group applaud them, not just one or two people. Everyone applauds the work because everyone has put the work in and everyone knows what it takes to achieve that rank. So how does that relate to jiu-jitsu then? Like I said, for me at my academy, this is what I wanted. I wanted students to be able to work towards an achievable goal where they knew they had a set of positions to learn. They had to spar to make sure that they could apply these techniques under a pressure environment and that they would not just turn up to class, smash everyone and be awarded the next rank because I believe that mentality is short-lived. I also believe that that mentality promotes a certain kind of individual and character. The score will not grow beyond a certain point and the injury and dropout rate would be huge or would be at least high. Now I'm not saying that there are not times to train like you fighting in a world championship. I'm not saying that at all. I myself with my association have multiple world and European medalists and champions but for me that is not my primary objective or focus. I see that style of promotion and fighting as a, as a byproduct of our art and for a younger student, a younger athletic student. Remember that this is only my opinion and I'm not saying whatever or however academies promote is right or wrong. All I'm saying is this suits me and my academy and after all the, and after all, the overall goal is, if we are being honest, is to be able to make a living and, you know, ultimately for me, it's to be able to make a living and provide for myself and family through this art that I've dedicated, you know, half my life to. So, you know, it's, it's very difficult because people will say, oh, you know, we promote like this and we promote like that. And, and that's fine if that suits you absolutely fine you know there's no right and there's no wrong this is just my way and this is why I have a curriculum because I'm trying to build students which have a whole understanding of jiu-jitsu everything from the stand-up self-defense to the actual ground fighting and everything in between through the weeks that I teach class I'm constantly reviewing and structuring lessons for my students now this takes a lot of my time, commitment and dedication because this is part of what it takes to be an instructor. Well, to me at least it takes that. To me, this is about giving value and serving not only my community, but my students. And I want my students to have the best possible instruction. A lot of instructors will not talk about, let's say the financial rewards when it comes to jujitsu. They will have students believe that, you know, it's a holistic mindset or a holistic approach and that if they could teach for free, they would. But for me, I call bull on that. You know, I really do. I think, I think that's the worst thing you can say. In my opinion, there is absolutely nothing wrong with making a, live, a living from an art that you have invested time, money, blood, sweat, tears, and of course, cost of learning the art, costs of traveling, the trips that, that one would have made back and forward from Brazil to America sacrificing you know my own time and money to learn an amazing art why can't i charge for that art you know what i do is i trade my time knowledge and experience and of course my bad jokes for a fee the same way someone would give up their work uh give up their time to be at a nine to five company 
um, to get paid for a job where they would work nine to five. And every year, those people, they would go to their boss and ask for a salary rise. And they get looked at at their overall performance. And then a raise is given to them based on that. Now, I don't believe jujitsu instructors are any different. I personally don't think talking about finance when you're working hard and giving 110% of yourself to better others is a negative thing because you earned it. You, you're not saying, oh, I'm charging you this and doing that. We're actually staying here. We're sacrificing our, our bodies and our time and our knowledge and we're getting paid um, a, a, you know, an amount for that time. Now, if you think about private lessons, when I teach private lessons, yes, there's a premium attached to those private lessons. My private lessons are not for everyone and, and they're not for everyone because of cost because of time and because of the, the limited time that I have to teach those private lessons. If you think, for example, if I'm teaching throwing techniques in my private lesson, a private lesson is me and another student, I'm getting thrown 20, 30 times in that lesson during that private lesson, if not more. And then at the end, the last 15 minutes of the lesson, I'm also sparring with that student. Now, I teach private you know, sometimes seven, eight, nine, ten a day, depending on the call for that, that lesson. You know, I work seven days a week sometimes, limiting my time to be around family, friends, and also my own downtime or recovery time. And all of this reflects in the price that us as jiu-jitsu instructors or black belts sell our product for. But I can guarantee if you take a private lesson with me or one of the black belts, you're going to learn something you're gonna learn a new skill. You're gonna you're gonna repeat a new skill. You're gonna break bad habits because that's what we're here to do is to develop and, and give value and growth to our students. One of the questions someone asked me recently, and I thought it was a really good question actually, they said to me, why did you choose to call your school an academy? And I have been asked that before, but it kind of struck a chord with me because it hadn't been asked to me in a while. And I say this, that the Royal Academy of Arts in London refers to themselves as an academy, hence the Royal Academy of Arts. Um, and that to me means, or if you look at the definition of that, a society or institute of distinguished scholars and artists or scientists that aims to provide and maintain standards in a particular field. Now, that sums up my academy to me because what I'm trying to do is promote and maintain a standard in a particular field and that standard is a level standard it's an achievable standard that anyone can achieve as long as they have the right learning mindset and they follow or adhere to our curriculum very simple when we talk about curriculums, people think it's very strict and regimental. No, our, our curriculum isn't strict and regimental. Yes, we have a very, very strong focus on basics. Yes, we have a very, very strong focus on fundamentals. Any good school, any learning school would have a strong focus on fundamentals. You wouldn't send your child to a first day nursery school and expect them to learn algebra. It just wouldn't work. So. Everything is placed in a linear uh, format 
and everything is taught and developed, uh, taught and structured so the students get the information at the right time. Now, receiving that information is one thing, applying that information is another, and then not making mistakes is another. And we really try to do that at the academy. And we always find, like I said, curriculum-based training never fails. It's almost bulletproof for me. It makes perfect sense. Um, now, if I didn't name... Well, let me rephrase that. I didn't name my academy after hearing what I just said to you about um, how the Arts Academy named theirs. But I wanted to let those know who are attending my academy that they would be learning in an academic environment because that's what I tried to provide. I tried to, each lesson I teach, each time I'm in the academy and I'm, I'm teaching them a, a lesson, I try to make sure that the students really get the value of that lesson. It's really like a personal or individual lesson, private lesson within a group class environment. Um, so they learn and I feel that I've done them a service. They feel that they receive value and they're learning some really good information. Let me pose this uh, scenario for you to consider for a second. And then we can kind of see the where, where, where I or how I think about curriculums being the way forward when it comes to jiu-jitsu. Here's the scenario. Um, let's say you train at a jiu-jitsu school. Let's say three times a week. Each of those lessons, you know you'll be going to class and you'll be learning something. Whatever that something is, you're definitely going to learn something. So let's say on Monday, you go to class and you're learning mount control. You then go to class on Wednesday and you're learning toe holds. You go again to class on Friday and let's say you start to learn some kind of open guard. How does that work for you? I mean, how do you piece all of that together and make a fragmented mirror whole? The truth is you can't. You become good at fragments of jujitsu and you fill the gaps with either what you think is right in hopes that it works. And let's be honest, it really doesn't and it won't. Now, let me make it clear. I'm not saying in any way, shape or form that that approach to teaching is right or wrong. We can't talk about right or wrong. But what we can say is within the realms of what we know about teaching or in the realms of what we know about teaching something and learning something, curriculums work best and places everyone on a level playing field. That's what I believe. Now, let me give you another scenario. You attend a jiu-jitsu school with a curriculum and you know for the next month you'll be learning how to establish the mount position, control the mount position and transition from that mount position. Also, you will have an equal time drilling with a compliant and resisting opponent where you will be receiving feedback right there and then with the instructor taking time to show you properly how to achieve the results you need step by step. And if that instructor is away for one of those lessons, so let's say I'm teaching Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and I teach Monday, and then Wednesday, let's say I'm not around, something happens and I'm not around. A standing instructor can come in 
and pick up exactly where it was left off by the instructor who is away. Not only does that put students at ease, but that has built resilience into your company, puts trust into what is being taught, and overall keeps the continuity and information being passed to the students, and also at the same time shows the professionalism of the instructors in that school. Now, to me, I know which one sounds better. But you, that's that's a judgment call for you guys. You know, it's not for me to say this is right or this is wrong. We can't talk about right or wrong. We can only talk about what works and what doesn't from this curriculum-based training. Also, when I'm teaching at the academy, I'm not sparring. This is my students' time and they've paid for that time. I am there to serve them and make sure that each student is grasping the technique. I will answer any question they may have, as well as helping them make the necessary adjustments for their body type. Jiu-Jitsu, as we know, is not a, a one-glove-fits-all. You know, if you have a guy who's six foot four, skinny like a rake, it's going to be totally different to a guy who's five foot and stocky. The game will be totally different. It will change from person to person. They have to be comfortable in their own skin. Um, and that is really, really important. Um, so like I said, when I'm, te- when I'm there at the academy, um, I am there wholeheartedly teaching. I'm not sparring. That, that's my student's time. Um, teaching a curriculum has not only taught me how to teach more effectively, but has made me a better teacher. It's allowed me to provide those coming to learn a structure. In turn, they have learned the art more efficiently. And and I can see that when it comes to belt testing. I can see that when they're on the mat training together. Um, I can just see it. All of us see it. Now, I agree you cannot get good at jiu-jitsu without pressure testing or sparring. And we do that every single lesson. Each class, we allow students uh, up to an hour's time of sparring at the end of the learning process. But when my students are sparring, I'm still watching. I'm still watching them. I want to make sure that they're making the right decisions. I want to make sure they're not creating bad habits, that they're not layering their mistakes um, into their jiu-jitsu, where ultimately it will become a bad habit. And, And that's really simple for me. I just want to make sure that they're getting it right. And all of that comes back to that curriculum-based training. Um, And, you know, like I said earlier on, for me and my academy, it works well for the reasons I've said. It works well from when they walk into the academy, we have a curriculum among the senior students of how we greet our students, new students, how we spend time with them, how we explain to them what is expected from us and what is expected for them or what is what we expect from them and what they will get from us we also have a curriculum you know in our white belt class white to blue belt in our beginner class the instructors teach a curriculum all of the black belts know the curriculum we test all belts on the curriculum our black belts receive their stripes on their belt after being tested in the curriculum We're constantly holding each other to account and to account of that curriculum. And it's not one person making a decision. They are judged by a group of black belts or a group of senior students who have obviously sat that exam and passed that exam. And that's why we use curriculums. And that's why I I like curriculums. 
they work well in my academy. Now, it's not for everyone. If your school doesn't have a curriculum, you know, you can look online and, and find a curriculum. We have an online site you can go to and check out our curriculum. It's right there. I have a student in um, Akala in um, Miami, you know, uh, who in the USA, excuse me, in Akala, he's going to kill me. I keep messing up saying Akala, uh, keep saying Miami. And he's learning the curriculum from our online site. Of course, we're in constant contact. And he's already a brown belt, so he has a great understanding of jujitsu. But he himself has said, this is one of the best curriculums that I've seen. My school didn't have a curriculum, or if they did, it wasn't an effective curriculum. There are many out there. Um, Gracie University has a curriculum. Henzo has a curriculum. John Danaher has a curriculum. They all have curriculums. So even the modern, modern guys have them. Guys, um, let's wrap it up there. That's all I have for you this week. Please make sure you take care. And if you found value in this, share it. Um, please don't forget to follow us on social media. You can find me on all outlets. Uh, my handle is at EKBJJ. Uh, till next time, guys. Until next time, stay safe and see you all soon.